Hello, everyone. It's June 10th. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, and I'm delighted to be able to fellowship in the Word of God with you today. We will be taking in today's portions from the One Year Bible. This is our 23rd week on the reading road of the One Year Bible Tour, and today, on day 161, we are learning in the book of Kings how God is shaping before us a clear picture of our need for the truer and greater king than David or Solomon, the truer and greater substitutionary sacrifice than the lambs and the oxen that were offered on the altar of old and we see how we need that greater and truer prophet that Moses was told about, whose word would judge the destinies of every human soul, of every tribe and tongue, of every generation. We are approaching now the middle territory of our journey of both the Old and New Testaments, so let's get started as we learn more about the reign of King Solomon in the book of First Kings, beginning with chapter 7, verse 1. Solomon builds his palace. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Solomon was building his own house thirteen years, and he finished his entire house. He built the house of the forests of Lebanon. Its length was a hundred cubits, and its breadth fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the forty-five pillars, fifteen in each row. There were window frames in three rows, and window opposite window in three tiers. All the doorways and windows had square frames, and window was opposite window in three tiers. And he made the hall of pillars, its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth thirty cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars, and a canopy in front of them. And he made the hall of the throne, where he was to pronounce judgment even the Hall of Judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. His own house, where he was to dwell, in the other court back of the hall, was of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken in marriage. All these were made of costly stones, cut according to measure, sawed with saws, back and front, even from the foundation to the coping, and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits, and above were costly stones, cut according to measurement, and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around, and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord, and the vestibule of the house. And King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze, and he was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. He came to King Solomon and did all his work. He cast two pillars of bronze. Eighteen cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of twelve cubits measured its circumference. It was hollow, and its thickness was four fingers. A second pillar was the same. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were lattices of checker work with wreaths of chain work for the capitals on the tops of the pillars, a lattice for the one capital and a lattice for the other capital. 
Likewise, he made pomegranates in two rows around the one lattice work to cover the capital that was on the top of the pillar, and he did the same with the other capital. Now the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars in the vestibule were of lily work, four cubits. The capitals were on the two pillars and also above the rounded projection which was beside the lattice work. There were two hundred pomegranates in two rows all around, and so with the other capital. He set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the south and called its name Jachin, and he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz, and on the tops of the pillars was lily work. Thus the work of the pillars was finished. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, ten cubits from brim to brim, and five cubits high, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. Under its brim were gourds, for ten cubits, compassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with it when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was set on them, and all their rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a handbreadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, like the flower of a lily. It held two thousand baths. He also made the ten stands of bronze. Each stand was four cubits long, four cubits wide, and three cubits high. This was the construction of the stands. They had panels, and the panels were set in the frames, and on the panels that were set in the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. On the frames, both above and below the lions and oxen, there were wreaths of beveled work. Moreover, each stand had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and at the four corners were supports for a basin. The supports were cast with wreaths at the side of each. Its opening was within a crown that projected upward one cubit. Its opening was round, as a pedestal is made, a cubit and a half deep. At its opening there were carvings, and its panels were square, not round, and the four wheels were underneath the panels. The axles of the wheels were of one piece with the stands, and the height of a wheel was a cubit and a half. The wheels were made like a chariot wheel. Their axles, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast. There were four supports at the four corners of each stand. The supports were of one piece with the stands, and on the top of the stand there was a round band half a cubit high, and on the top of the stand its stays and its panels were of one piece with it, and on the surface of its stays and on its panels he carved cherubim, lions, and palm trees according to the space of each with wreaths all around. After this manner he made the ten stands, all of them were cast alike, of the same measure and the same form. And he made ten basins of bronze. Each basin held forty baths. Each basin measured four cubits, and there was a basin for each of the ten stands. And he set the stands, five on the south side of the house and five on the north side of the house. And he set the sea on the southeast corner of the house. Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, and the basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon on the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the two lattice works to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the tops of the pillars, and the four hundred pomegranates for the two lattice works 
two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars, the ten stands and the ten basins on the stands, and the one sea and the twelve oxen underneath the sea. Now the pots, the shovels, and the basins, all these vessels in the house of the Lord, which Hiram made for King Solomon, were of burnished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan the king cast them, in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarathan. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed, because there were so many of them, the weight of the bronze was not ascertained. So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of presence, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side and five on the north before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, and the tongs of gold, the cups, snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, and firepans of pure gold, and the sockets of gold for the doors of the innermost part of the house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple. Thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of First Kings. So let's take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. Solomon's palace took six years longer to build than it did to build the structure of the temple. We do not know why. Because the building of the temple was the national priority, it demanded the most attention. The energies and time of the workers needed to be focused on getting it built. We know that the building of the temple was completed in seven years, but it is likely that more time was required to do the inside and outside finish work as well as complete the furnishings. Solomon's palace was a combination of a royal residence, city hall, armory, and national reception center. The palace was twice as large as the temple and consisted of two or three floors. It was 150 feet long. The temple was 90 feet long. The palace was 75 feet wide. The temple was 30 feet wide. The palace stood 45 feet high, the same height as the temple. In addition to a grand reception hall of pillars, there was a throne room, the hall of judgment, and a residence for his Egyptian wife, possibly including space for Solomon's harem. Like the temple, the palace was constructed of costly stone and cedar from Lebanon. Because of the abundance of cedar, the palace was called the Palace of the Forest of Lebanon. We learn that Hiram from Tyre not only supplied material from afar, but came to work on the project, lending his craftsmanship skill to the task of fashioning the bronze pieces. The pieces on the porch of the house of the Lord were named Jachin, meaning he shall establish, and Boaz, meaning in him is strength. An enormous molten sea, a tank able to contain 12,000 gallons of water, sat upon a base of twelve oxen made of brass, three of them facing in each of the four directions. The brazen sea was used for the priest's ceremonial washing and was placed in the temple court near the altar for the burnt offerings. The Gibeonites, or Nethanim, were appointed water carriers in Joshua chapter 9, verse 21, and were responsible for keeping the molten sea fully supplied with water. There is quite a long list of Hiram's accomplishments in the overall construction effort in 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 13-47. through 47. Notice the attention to detail. 
and how the symbol of fruitfulness, the pomegranate, and the symbol of righteousness, the lily, are featured in abundance. When the temple building was completed, that which David had dedicated for use in the temple was brought to be stored in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 51. Let's return to the first century A.D., where we listen in on Stephen addressing those who are about to stone him. Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 30 and reading through to verse 50. Stephen is answering the three charges that have been made against him by affirming the testimony of the God of glory in the history of Israel. Chapter 7, verse 30. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. But God turned away, and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And this is the end of today's portion from the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 7. Today we read almost all the way to the end of Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin, in which he makes it clear that Jesus is the promised and expected deliverer of Israel, the Messiah, the Righteous One. 
Stephen boldly sets the record straight and turns the table on their arguments. He reminds them that rather than upholding the law, they and their ancestors were lawbreakers given to idolatry. They worshipped idols in Egypt, in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 7 through 8, the golden calf in the wilderness, adopted the gods of the Canaanites in the promised land, and were only delivered of idolatry during their captivity in Babylon. As Abraham looked forward to a promise that did not come in his lifetime, so Moses told of a prophet like unto himself, to whom they must obey or perish. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, and Acts chapter 7, verse 37. Stephen is reminding them that just as their ancestors had a history of rejecting God's message and messengers and turning to idols, they were now doing the same by rejecting Jesus, the one to whom Abraham and Moses pointed. When God said that he does not dwell in buildings made by hands, he was alluding to the fact that he would visit and tabernacle among them in flesh and blood. John chapter 1 verse 14. The convicting climax of Stephen's message is found in verses 51 to 53, which we will read tomorrow. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. At this, the religious leaders can take it no more. They cry out with loud voices, holding their ears, and take Stephen outside the city and stone him to death. He becomes the first martyr recorded in the New Testament church. Open Doors reports 4,305 Christians were martyred in 2019. A researcher with the International Society for Human Rights estimated the number is about 10,000 annually. Saul of Tarsus witnessed Stephen's testimony, consented to his death, and guarded the garments that were laid down at his feet while they stoned this bold Christian witness. Stephen speaks out loud what he is witnessing. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He once again is confirming the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Man. How wonderful it is to know that Jesus is standing up for those who give witness to his name, and particularly for those who seal their witness in blood. For Stephen, this meant his coronation. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 we read, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. A heckler, listening to a street preacher speaking about Stephen's death, cried out in derision, Why didn't God do something for Stephen when they were stoning him? The preacher replied, He did do something for Stephen. He gave him the grace to forgive his murderers and pray for them. Stephen dies with this prayer on his lips, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. One of the persecutors observing Stephen, Saul of Tarsus, who would later call himself the chief of sinners, would be haunted by these words. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 128. This is the next in a series of the 15 Psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent, the Songs of Degrees, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Psalm 128, verse 1. 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Because families would travel up to Jerusalem, it is only fitting that another one of the Psalms of Ascents is about families. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. The word blessed here is Asher in Hebrew, which means happy. Verse 2 describes a satisfying and happy life where one's hard work is rewarded. Verses 3 and 4 describe the blessing of a happy God-centered family life. The final verses are a benediction pronounced from Zion, the destination, and the place of the ultimate sacrifice. From the perspective of the finished work of redemption, we can look forward to the empowering of the Spirit to prosper in God's commission and see our grandchildren real and spiritual. Peace be upon the nation of Israel. Shalom be on all God's people who are ruled by Him. And now we go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 31 through 33. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. These proverbs speak of the dignity of old age, the wisdom of self-control in the spirit, and the need to trust God's sovereignty with all that is thrown into our lap. Now let's pray. O Lord, we read today of a completed temple, a finished work. We read in the New Testament about a brother in Christ who bore confident testimony to the fact that Jesus is the promise, the expected prophet, the Messiah, the Word made flesh, manifesting your glory, and the righteous one who is the forgiver of our sins. We are grateful for Jesus, the one who is our advocate at your right hand, who intercedes for us, and who stands up for us as needed. Truly we are being blessed from Zion. Grant us continued success as we each do our part to fulfill the Great Commission. May we be fruitful in every good work, especially in the work of making disciples. Birth spiritual children and grandchildren through our prayerful investments in the next generation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this concludes our time of reading and reflection from today's portion from the One Year Bible. And God willing, we will be with you tomorrow to continue our journey. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by email, writing podcast at newlife.org. And once again, if you would like to know more information about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or New Life Fine Arts and its ministries, you can go to our websites, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. There, if you desire, you can subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of the accompanying commentary on that day's Bible reading. So until next time, may the grace of our Lord and Savior, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all.